Is this good? This is good. This is good. This is good. Oh man. And and honestly, I you know I'll be honest with you. I enjoyed going to Matthew's living room and doing that. Uh, uh, but I was the the thing that I missed each Sunday was your faces. I saw names of people coming up online, and and that that pumped me up. That got me excited about who was watching. Uh, to see your faces, uh, to be able to greet you at the door, it's good. It's good. It's good to be together. There's something about gathering that is special and important. It, because this living, living according to our faith and le- learning according to the righteousness we've been given is not easy. But, but it is special in us. And, and this is an encouragement and strength for us to move forward. So we're hoping that in time we're going to get back to what we will call normal. Uh, I, I got to say this that uh, when, when this first took place and we had to call that first Sunday, I had a couple young men that I work with that stepped up huge. And, and uh, I've heard a lots, of, uh, lots of comments about, man, what you guys are doing is, is great, and that's a compliment to both Matthew and Eric. And I appreciate those young men who have really been uh, a help and a support and, and just has kept ministry going uh, so well. Uh, throughout the the past week, so appreciate him. Yeah, you bet. And I, I I'm this is going to be unusual for me too because for the past several weeks I've been sitting down and preaching. So now I have to stand up. So that's I might wear out a little bit. So this might be a shorter sir. Who knows? Who knows? I, I got to be honest with you. I really wrestled with this one. Even to two o'clock early this morning, I woke up and was not comfortable with what I was preaching. Uh, that, and that's not, that hadn't happened to me in a long time. So I got up at 2 o'clock, and I was a man wrestling with it. And, and so uh, pray for me this morning. But I, I, I appreciate the passage we're about to, to approach. Uh, Daniel chapter 8. And if you've been reading, you're up on it. But we're also going to dive into chapter 9. And, and so as, as we get into this... I, and here's, here's my conclusion. When I, when I laid there in my bed and I woke up and I thought about what was tr- especially troubling me, and, and I don't know whether this troubled you, but this, especially troubling me is with, with the ending verse of both chapter 7, which was that dream that Daniel had of the four beasts. And, and, and then today we have another vision I'll talk about here just, just briefly But at the conclusion of chapter 7, here's what Daniel said. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts. And my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. That's the conclusion that Daniel came to because of this dream, this vision of what is coming. Uh, Daniel is disturbed. You know, he received a word from the Lord saying, this is what's going to happen. And, and he is not elated. He's not rejoicing. Instead, he's troubled. And, and when we get to chapter 8, I'm about to read or, or about to just really go briefly through uh, the vision he has. Here's the conclusion of chapter 8, even though we haven't read it yet. He says, I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was, a, I, I was appalled by the vision. I, it was beyond understanding. 
And so Ronnie Roberts was going to come before you today and just lay it all out for you perfectly, right? Daniel is troubled, and he wrestles with the visions he had. The vision that he had uh, in, in Daniel chapter 8 is this. Again, we see some beasts. This time, it's, it's more uh, uh, not a, a combination of beasts like it was in chapter 7. This time, the beast is a ram. It's, it's a large, powerful ram with two horns, one horn bigger than the other. And that's the simple description. The activity of the ram is another thing. It said that he... Uh, 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 let me see, he, he had charged. He charged to the west, he charged to the north, he charged to the south. Meaning, uh, and, and, and the meaning is the same as it was in, in chapter 7. The, these beasts represent kingdoms. And, and specifically, the ram was representing the kingdom that was yet to come. See, it, uh, he begins by saying it was in the time of Belshazzar. It was in the time of Belshazzar. So, very close to the end of Babylon. When he's having this, this dream, Belshazzar's handwriting on the wall is about to come, which was in chapter 5. And so he has this vision, and, and he sees this great ram, and, and it's making these charges. And, and what, what is happening, he is a powerful, uh, he is, he is a powerful kingdom, is, is evident through the vision. And, and it, it is... It is uh, uh, the Medes and the Persians. It's not Babylon anymore. It's the Medes and Persians because of the location where he's having this vision. It's Susa, one of the great capital cities uh, of uh, uh, Persia. They're right next to the canal, as it says in the beginning of that chapter. As he sees this vision of this, this ram, all of a sudden there's a goat that appears. And it, doesn't, it says it doesn't even hit the ground. It's flying towards the ram. It has this great horn between its eyes. And it, it pounces on the ram. And it, it knocks it down. It breaks its horns. And it overcomes the ram. Tramples it, it says. And the passage also says that no animal is able to overcome it. The, the goat is representative of the Persians. No, not, not the Persians. Excuse me, the Greeks. Uh, now, Greece is, is represented, uh, the great horn is represented as Alexander the Great and his conquest. I think that's the, the point. As his conquest, uh, he was just able to, to go in this wide swath and, and take over uh, kingdoms left and right. And, and so you see uh, Alexander the Great as the horn. And, and as, as it tramples over uh, uh, the Medes and Persians, then, then now Greece is in power. But in the midst of that power, the, the horn is broken, it says. And, and so Alexander the Great dies, kind of a young man in, in his 30s, I believe. And in his place come up four other horns. Uh, places like Mesopotamia. I and mean, it's spread out. Mesopotamia, Egypt, Syria are some of the locations represented by those horns. And, and then uh, out of those horns, one horn rises. And, and out of that horn, we identify, and it seems like throughout, the, uh, throughout all translations, people see this as the man Antiochus Epiphanes, who comes in that time, that silent time between Old Testament and New Testament. And, and what's described in the scriptures is that he defiles, or uh, he, he is a bold one when it comes to God. He sets himself to be as, as powerful as, as God's army. He, he, he defiles the temple, tramples the temple. And in history, we know what he did. He set up a, a, an idol of Zeus within that, that temple of God. And he offered a sacrifice upon the altar. And it was, it was a pig. 
and it was all defiling and, and disrespectful uh, of, of the God of Israel and the God of uh, Jacob. And, and so this is, this is, the, uh, uh, this is the vision that, that is all contained there in chapter 8. I mean, Daniel's seen it all, right? He's seen the fall of his kingdom, uh, the kingdom of Judah, God's kingdom, his people. He's, he's seen the, the removal of the king. And, and now in the vision, what appears is that even what he hoped to return to, that, that, uh, uh, that place of worship where God existed, is going to be removed, absolutely removed. And so what, what encouragement do we have? He, he has none. He's wrestling with this image. Even, even though that, that towards the end it says that the, the little horn is removed, he's, he dies. As, as Daniel has seen before, what does God do? He raises kings and he removes kings. God's in charge. Even amongst all this chaos. Uh, the, the point that came, especially with the end of, of each of these chapters, uh, that Daniel's distraught. It might be the same, same reason why when we read through Revelation and we're left wondering. I, when we re- read the book of Revelation, a lot of times we continue to ask questions. What's happening? And we look at the world. And, and have you ever done that? Looked at the world and think, oh, well, what's happening? Is that recorded? And, and matter of fact, I've even heard people saying, oh, that's what's happening in Revelation. You know, that's what it says here. And they're trying to apply it. Well, today's circumstances, I think it's true. Yeah, over and over again. Um, the future for this world is not going to go so well. I think that's the bottom line Daniel has to, to, has to swallow. The, the future for the world is not going to go so well. Matter of fact, I should just say the future of this world is going to be disastrous. The world around us, nations, kingdoms, they're all headed for disaster. And, and, and the reason why, because the, the future, even our future, Daniel's future is full of beasts it's full of battles, it's full of unrest, it's full of troubles because of a continued disregard and disrespect for the Creator and the true King. Isn't that right? I mean, that's what Daniel had to, had to swallow. I mean, think, think about it in Daniel's mind. I want to go home. You could relate to that, right? I mean, he was taken, he was in this pagan area. He, he, what God called him to do, he did exactly. He, he continued to be a plus and a bonus for the kings that he was around. That was because it was commanded by God. But he was looking forward to going home. I mean, when, when uh, uh, Darius, I mean, during that time of Darius, that, creed, that, that decree came out and said, hey, you do not pray. Where did, where did Daniel pray? He always faced towards home. He faced towards where the temple was located. Because to him, an Israelite, a, a, a Jew, that temple is the very place, that very house of God where they would go and worship him. They knew his presence was there. They, they even had uh, revelations of his presence there. And so that was near and dear to his heart. And so he was looking forward to going home. But these visions, these visions of what is coming had nothing to do with getting back into Jerusalem, seeing it rebuilt, and seeing the glory days of that kingdom return with kings and kingdom and, and that place of worship. Matter of fact, in this last vision, it was even that place of worship was threatened, was disrespected, trampled. And so no wonder Daniel, at the end of each of these chapters, was just not understanding and not excited. You know, I, th- I, I, I want to say it today. In this day, 
Do you see them? Do you see beasts working and living in this world? Leaders of nations? Uh, I, I see two two diametrically opposed parties growing farther and farther apart, and I see a lot of beasts right there. And, and I'm not going to name them or anything. And, and when I say beasts, I mean just people who have not come to that place of recognizing who is truly in charge, King of kings and Lord of lords. Yet that was the message Daniel knew and embraced. That's what Nebuchadnezzar came to realize. It's what you all realize and know and, and in Scripture, I want to make sure this is clear, we're to pray for those people. <laughs> Just like Daniel who comes up and embraces Nebuchadnezzar and, and is a plus for him. We as believers, as, as, as believers and people of an eternal kingdom are to be a benefit to the people in this world. Loving, serving, praying for, don't have to be in agreement at all. You know, there might be those times where we might have to be opposed. Tell, don't tell me I cannot pray and now I have to pray to some other God or, or don't tell me I have to kneel and bow to some image there are other areas where we might have to be you know when it crosses the line that it is going to be dishonoring of God that might be a line we might have to cross but in the meantime we are called to be obedient to the beast and we're going to be amongst beasts and battles and, and, and unrest and difficulties. And, and we might be at the same place, or we have been at the same place. Are you with me? Reading through Revelation, you say, what's going on here? There's people dying, uh, martyrs, on, on this, for the sake of Christ. And it seems like armies and beasts that rise up and, and continue to battle against God's, God's kingdom. But, but you know, the... the the great conclusion to Revelation is simply this, and I believe the great conclusion that Daniel could see as well is this, that God wins. I mean, that's, that's always been my theme for Revelation. If you don't understand it, look at the glorious ending. <laughs> it's at the end, the ending. So uh, there, there is one, one uh, a verse, one particular statement that's made in verse 17. I want you to grasp in, in understanding this vision that I just went through. And it's this fact that, that as the angel Gabriel explained, isn't that interesting, Gabriel? What, was it, what other play, role did Gabriel play? I mean, he's bringing this understanding to Daniel. But wasn't Gabriel the name of the angel who came before Mary and said, you're going to have a child? It's going to be the son of God? Uh, just keep that, tuck that in and, and, and think of the significance in what we're reading this morning. In, in verse 17, here's, here's Gabriel who comes and is going to explain the vision to Daniel. He says, as he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate as he saw Gabriel come. He said, son of man, he, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. Then in verse 19 he comes and he says, I am going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. He said it twice. He's telling Daniel, hey, this, the, end is, the end is coming. The end is coming. Now I know quickly as we're reading through and I, and I could see where, where we could be led to this, oh, the end and yet, even for us today, the end is yet to come, which is true. But is that the ending that, that the angel is describing for Daniel here, and I don't think it is. The end he's describing is actually the end of that kingdom that he has in his mind. Yeah, he's thinking about that kingdom that is so, sorry, Matthew. <laughs> 
I'm supposed to stay stationary. This is really difficult. Or Matthew's going to have to get up and point the camera at this screw. So forgive me for being standing still, okay? But in Daniel's mind, understand this. In Daniel's mind, we're going back after 70 years. We're going back to Jerusalem. We're going to rebuild it, and it's going to go back to its great glory because we're going to be a people who will not uh, anymore disrespect our God or be disobedient before him. I, I think that's the hope, at least in Daniel's heart. But these, these uh, visions he's having says otherwise. And now this vision he just had, it's the end. It's, it's no longer going to be this, this kingdom of the Jews that, that is established on, upon that old covenant. What's that old covenant? Well, it's based upon you are obedient, you will be my people and I will be your God. You follow these laws and I will be your God. And they were unable to do it. The end that, that we're looking, some years yet to come, is the end of the Old Covenant. It's the end that Old Covenant has been broken by the people. And, and so this Old Covenant, which still rules, is going to be removed, or it's going to be fulfilled when someone comes. So when we, when we think about that, I, I especially had to, to move on to chapter 9. In chapter 9, uh, think about Daniel's response. These are separated by some years when we look, especially at the beginning. In, in chapter 7, you know, it was the first year of King Belshazzar. And, and the, the, the one today, chapter 8, it's the third year of King Belshazzar. And, and so these visions happen. But then it might have been months where this prayer is recorded in chapter 9. I'm just going to read a portion of it for you. But here's Daniel's response when he sits down to think. He's a praying man. And he's involved in praying, and he's reading the Scripture. And specifically, the passage says he's reading Jeremiah. And so it happens in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse, uh, verse 11. He re he's reminded that God said that this captivity is going to be 70 years. 70 years in Babylon. Well, Babylon falls. And now it, this, this prayer comes about in the, the first year of King Darius. And, and so... Uh, Daniel has this in his mind. It is time to return. So, so what is Daniel praying? Oh God, take us home. Uh, oh God, I know those, those visions that still have to be, you know, if, if Daniel continues to be uh, without understanding, still wrestling with, what's it going to be like? What's, what's the days ahead with goats and rams and, and, and destruction and, and uh, defiling of the temple? What's, what's ahead? Where is Daniel led in this prayer? And I don't think this is, this is uh, a first-time prayer for Daniel just because it's recorded. I think Daniel spoke these words often because he knew why they were there in Babylon. He knew why they were in captivity. Listen to the words just at the beginning of this. I do encourage you to read all of Daniel's prayer for this reason. I love examples of repentance. I love I, I loved to go to, to, to David and see his unfolding of repentance in, in Psalm chapter 51. And I love to go to Daniel, especially because he speaks for all of Israel or all of Judah as he prays. And it is a repentance that we can learn from. You know, what does our repentance look like? Well, let's, let's begin. Here it is. Uh, verse 4 says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. He said, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have, been, and have rebelled. 
We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. It it continues on. There's some real significant things about the repentance that we hear from Daniel. Number one, he absolutely addresses their sinfulness. We've rebelled against you. We've been disobedient before you. We have transgressed your laws. We haven't listened to your prophets. He lays it all out. We have been disobedient. The the second point I think is very significant in their repentance is he declares, God, you are righteous. You're righteous in your actions. You're righteous in what what you do because you're a holy God. And you're righteous in this fact that a long time ago, you laid it out for us. When we became your nation, you said, hey, there's going to be blessings upon you if you are obedient. And wonderful blessings. Now, you're going to be productive. But there's going to be curses upon you if you disobey and you break this covenant. And Daniel knows full well that the captivity that he spent all these years in Babylon was because of disobedience. And God said, this is what's going to happen. And guess what? God, a righteous God, does exactly what he says he's going to do. So in our repentance, it's man, we admit our sinfulness, and we say, you are righteous, you are holy, and we have absolutely missed that opportunity to be obedient before you. We, have, we are wrong in what we've done. And we're actually deserving of the punishment we received. We've, we've received it. And then he moves on to appealing to God's mercy. Appealing to God's mercy. Oh, and, and here's the truth. Because God's mercy is good. Are you with me on that? God, I mean, look at the world around you and think about the ugliness that, that people commit against each other. Uh, the circumstances right now, the ugliness that's within our own nation, not only looking to other nations and seeing the ugliness, but the ugliness that continues on in this world. We say, oh man, we understand that we deserve punishment. And we get real with ourselves. And say, well, how obedient have I been? How, how consistent have I been in honoring my God? And so I'm, I'm very familiar with appealing to his mercy. Going to appeal to his mercy. Uh, Daniel said this in his, his, his appeal. He said, it's not according to my righteousness. I'm not coming to you to appeal to your mercy because I'm a righteous man. I'm coming to appeal to you because you're a God of mercy. I don't deserve your mercy. That's mercy, right? I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve your forgiveness. But we're going to make an appeal to it, Lord, that, that you will be able to forgive. The course has been set, though. The Old Testament time, the Old Testament ways, in some years yet to come, is going to be removed. Here's the end result. Uh, Just just quickly want to wrap up in this direction. The last part of chapter 9. Don't miss this. I I had to look for the, uh, the exciting part of this. After Daniel absolutely humbled himself and, and, and identified their sinfulness and, and, and identified God's righteousness and appealed and moved on to that mercy, then that angel Gabriel showed up again. And why? You know, he, he identified Daniel as, as being someone who, who is highly esteemed. Where, where does that highly esteem come from except from a faithful man who admits and is humbled before his God? 
Uh, Daniel is in a good place, not because he's a great man, but because he is humble before his God. And it's right after that, that time of repentance that Gabriel shows up and says, Here, I have come to give you insight and understanding. And then what, what is going to happen? What The con- continued uh, unfolding of what is going to happen in the years ahead as the Old Testament or this Old Covenant, uh, the, the way things Daniel understands and knows is going to be closed, there's, there's something new coming. There's something new coming. I especially, let me just, to, to save time, let me go just to verse 24. There's, uh, and forgive me, in chapter 8 and 9, there's a lot of fun things to unpack. So please read those. If you have questions, uh, please, please let me know. But, but here's verse 24. In verse 24, he said 77s. That's one of those things that I would I'd spend a lot of time trying to, to, to lay that out before you. 77s, that's the time that's coming, our decreed uh, for your people and your holy city to finish transgression. Listen, there are, there are six items. To finish up transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for weakness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Six items that are absolutely, each one of those are fulfilled through Jesus. The, the first two that are mentioned, the... Um, uh, the, the, the finish your transgression and to put an end to sin, uh, both are re- in reference to the Old Testament, the, the closing of that Old Testament. Actually, to Jesus, it would be the fulfilling of all the law through what he did upon the cross. That, that's for those in the Old Testament. But for the New Testament, the next two are you and I. This is the great woo-hoo, or in, in layman's terms, amen, of the Scripture, Okay? The, the great amen of Scripture, it comes in this, is that he has come to, put, uh, to, to atone for wickedness and to bring everlasting righteousness. Do you, do you hear the act of, yeah, thank you. Yeah, good. Uh, I, I want you to have a woo there. Do, do we understand he's going to atone for wickedness? That's Jesus to you and I. That that is Jesus living in you and I, an atonement for our wickedness to to receive a righteousness. I'm not a righteous man apart from Christ. Are are you with me? Anybody here righteous apart from Jesus? No way. I, 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 I would fail absolutely when it comes to being a holy man or a righteous man. Just ask Linda. No, don't ask Linda. But, but the, the truth is, is that I miss that mark, and I deserve his punishment, but Jesus is being sent. It is going to be a change from the old covenant of, of built upon laws to a new covenant that's built upon his mercy. When we appeal to his mercy, man, he has already presented his mercy to us through his son Jesus. We see it today. Man, we can have lifted hearts, unlike Daniel, because we see its great conclusion. And matter of fact, we, even though we live in a time of beast and continued beast and continued unrest and continued ugliness, guess what we have looking forward to us is a completion of all things. An eternal kingdom, which we know and are part of today. An eternal king, Jesus, who is ruling today. Are you with me? And, and a place to worship. Hey, we've been doing it every week, not because we're here but because we, we came for the purpose of, of, of worshiping him, 
coming together, even if it was over technology, our worship continued on. It's not about location anymore. It's about where his spirit resides. Where is that? Ah, Charlotte, absolutely right. He has promised that through Jesus, through that cleansing blood, his presence is now within us. How How are we holy? It's because he is dwelling within us. Well, we got a long way to go and, and some work to be done and, and to live. But when we know and understand what Jesus has done for us, it changes our lives because we have a destiny that is eternal, a king that is eternal, and a place to worship always you know, together you know, with Jesus here. Isn't that right? Yes. Isn't that a, amen. Even though Daniel amen. was so frustrated and so perplexed, and lacked understanding, and we're going to have under, lack of understanding of, of things and events in this world, but the overall understanding is God has this in his control. It's not out of his control. And you need to in, embrace that. No, because I know there's probably been some fear over circumstances that are happening today. It's not out of God's control at all. Matter of fact, he's leading out, and he uses beasts. He uses battles. He uses all these things to bring a glorious end to all uh, this, this ugly world that disregards him as creator, disregards him as king. I could keep going for a long time, but here's, here's a good place to stop. It's that place of, of just reminding us about repentance. Are you a, do you find yourself on your knees? I, I would say often or at least within prayer, of identifying, God, this is who I am. This is who Jesus is. I am so, I am so needy of Jesus. Uh, there is no other way for me to be able to even communicate to you except for Jesus. Maybe it's that time of coming and saying, God, I, for, I ask your forgiveness for my transgressions today. Just as Jesus said in the prayer, as I forgive those who, who have sinned against me. Lord, I want to be forgiving because that is the salvation that is living and working in us. Isn't that right? The encouragement I have for you today is we are coming back together uh, as, as a body like this. I was excited to see your faces, not to talk to a camera anymore. And, and those online, you could do this as well. My challenge is this, that, that for those of us who are even in Christ... Don't neglect that humbling opportunity to come before God and to seek his repentance. Oh, I did a long time ago when I was baptized. No, man, I, me too. And I've had incidents and times where, let's just say, it's kind of a daily basis for me to come before God on my knees and just ask his forgiveness and to plead for his mercy. And, and the joy of that is knowing that he's already done it for me. He's already committed for me. So it always breaks into praise. Are you with me on that? Breaks into praise. We're going to pray, and then we're going to partake together uh, of the communion. So uh, do, does everybody have your, your, your cup with you this morning? Okay. Uh, we're, let's do this. We're going we're gonna to pray. Our minds are focused upon what Jesus has done for us, what this represents uh, the cup you have in your hand, there's bread there, uh, which you peel that off and, and take that and then peel off for the, the juice and, and partake. Uh, just keep this in mind. 
Uh, we, we have an, an advantage over Daniel because we understand as everything is laid out and, and brought before us. And we have a great understanding also of how Jesus is the very one who has brought that forgiveness, that atonement through his blood. That's our woohoo this morning. That's our reason to celebrate. Let's pray, and then together I, I will lead us in partaking this morning, okay? So let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you always for Jesus. Today, this morning, as we're gathered together, we thank you for that opportunity. We thank you for the, the, the willingness that Jesus had of going to the cross in obedience to you, Lord. To face the cross, the pain, the suffering, and even the separation that he felt in that time as he bore our sins. And then, Father, we praise you for that blood that was shed on our behalf. The blood is, is such a message throughout Scripture. It is our covering, uh, taking what is once stained and, and uh, uh, making us clean, making us spotless. Today, Father, we could claim righteousness, but it is only through Jesus that we have that place. So, Father, this is worth our celebrating as we partake this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.